Good morning. Uh, my name is Sean White. I'm one of our member or our ministers here on staff today. Well, I guess I'm also a member here as well. Um, and filling in for Chris today as he is traveling this weekend. Uh, you know, this week as I was thinking about uh, this message, what I really wanted to do, and I've always wanted to do this, is make an infomercial. Always wanted to make an infomercial. You, you know, uh, you know the, the setup for infomercials, right? You know, you've got like some simple task that needs to be accomplished, and then they show you, like usually in black and white, of some goober like fumbling through some menial task, and then they're like, hey, do this instead. This is the product you should buy. And I thought, well, man, I would love to make an infomercial about Jesus and uh, film it and show it to you, but I didn't because um, I didn't have time. But I did write a script for it, so I want to share that to you, and I'm going to give you my best salesman uh, pitch voice uh, for, for it because um, I want to sell you something this morning. So my question is, do you want a better life? All right. Do you want to be happier? Do you want things to go your way? Have you tried Jesus? Do you want to get healthy? Do you want to lose weight? Some of you are like... Do you want to get strong instead of being weak? Have you tried Jesus? How about this? Do you want a better job? Some of you are like, I don't know if I'm supposed to answer that. Do you want a raise or a promotion? Y yes, raise for sure. Do you want to get out of debt? Have you tried Jesus? Do you want to make better decisions? Do you want to know what to do next? Do you want your future laid out for you? Have you tried Jesus? Do you not want to go where it's hot? Do you want eternal happiness? Do you want a mansion, robe, and crown? Have you tried Jesus? Because you... Just for only water baptism, three hours of church a week, a service project here and there, and 10% of your annual income for the rest of your life, you too can have all this. But just wait. If you act now, we'll throw in a styrofoam cracker and a thimble of non-Welch's grape juice every Sunday morning. So that would be my infomercial, right? That would be my infomercial. Um, because I don't know about you. Sometimes I feel like, sometimes I feel like this. I sometimes, oh man, don't go too far. Go back one. There we go. Um, I feel like coming to church is just a big sales pitch. That we get this sales pitch for Jesus. If you would just try Jesus, if you would just try Jesus, then he'll do this, 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 and this. Things not going your way, just try Jesus, and he'll fix it all. And uh, honestly, I, I, it's exaggerating a bit, using a little bit of hyperbole. Um, but sometimes I think the message of Jesus gets boiled down to a bad infomercial. Us fumbling around in black and white, not knowing how to do things, and then somebody comes along and just like, boom, the perfect product for you. It's Jesus. It's church. Life will be better. Life will be easier. Everyone is happy. 
But I don't know, honestly, I don't know where at some point the Great Commission became the great sales pitch. Where if we just say the right things, present, present Jesus in just the right way, then we'll get that sale and we'll convert someone to Christianity. We'll convert someone to our side. But, honestly, if Jesus, the church, and our spiritual lives are more than just a sales pitch to an unbeliever, because they have to be. They have to be more than just a sales pitch to somebody who doesn't think like we think. Because if it's, more, if it's not more than just a sales pitch, then Jesus and the church and our spiritual lives become just another product that when we're done with it, we put it back up on the shelf till we need it again. I believe that Jesus didn't come to offer us a product to sell, but to give us a purpose in life. But when we simplify the gospel to things like just simple behavior modification, be good, don't be bad, or some sort of reward for being good when we die, we miss out on the purpose, and it becomes a product and not a purpose. And honestly, I'm a bad salesman. I'm a bad salesman. I'm not very good at being a salesman. Um, so true story, in, co in high school, uh, I would go to work with my dad. My dad's in construction. And I would go to work with my dad every Saturday. And in the summer times, uh, most days of the week when I wasn't on a youth group trip. Um, because I needed to be able to pay for Sheena's expensive tastes in, in high school. And so... He would take me to work. We would get up at 5, 5.30 in the morning. And if you know me, I am not a morning person. Um, if you also know me, you know that I don't really like m to carry things or pick up things. Um, and so construction work wasn't my favorite thing in the world. So one summer, it's super hot. Florida summers are hot. They're miserable. They're humid. They're gross. Um, so I'm having to get up early, and I think, man, I need to get another job. I need to get another job. So I look in the newspaper, yes, the newspaper, and I find an ad for uh, a, a, a job that says, you don't have to make any calls, you don't have to do anything like that. And I'm like, well, that's a job I could do. I don't want to call people. Um, so I sign up for it, and I, I go to the interview thing, and they're like, okay, you, you know, come back uh, next week, and you'll start training. And I'm like, oh, I already got the job. Awesome. So I go, and it's a job to sell knives. I'm not going to say the company, but it's a company that cuts. And I go to the training, and within like the first day, they start pairing us up together to practice sales pitches. Uh, I'm just like, oh, this is not me. No. Um, because again, if you know me, I don't like small talk. I don't like uh, those sorts of things. I, I'm the kid that was in youth group when our youth minister was like, hey, we're going to have a, an icebreaker. I'm like, it's time for the bathroom. Because I don't like that stuff. Um, but we start going through it, and I'm just trying to do my best. And at the very end, here's the twist. They're like, no, you're going to have to sell this to your family and your friends. Just call people that you know and go to their houses and sell these knives. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. I don't want to sell this. And so what I basically get, did is um, got a week off of work from working for my dad and went right back to the sweat and spent $200 on a bunch of knives, um, <laughs> which my mom was not happy about. But she liked the knives. She did like the knives. 
because I'm not a good salesperson. I don't like being pushy. I don't like feeling like I'm manipulating someone into doing something. I, I just don't like it. That's not me. And I'll be honest, most of the examples that I, I saw growing up about spreading the gospel to me seemed like a sales pitch. It seemed like a sales pitch to try to convince somebody of something to, to, to buy something versus providing purpose in their lives. Maybe it's just me. I, I, I don't know. But I, I'll say this. In my time in youth ministry, in my time in youth ministry, I promised, I made a promise that I'm not going to try to sell kids on Jesus. Because again, if, I, if Jesus is just a product, like a new iPhone, when they're done with him, they're just going to put him on their shelf and look for the next new thing. Because it's really easy in youth ministry to be a good salesman. You just get kids really tired, you get them emotionally charged, and then you tell them they're bad. It's really easy. I've seen it. I've seen people do that. And it's really easy, but it doesn't stick. Because when Jesus becomes just a product, he doesn't give you purpose. And purpose is what sticks. So we've been in this new series this month. Um, we've been talking about purpose and living an intentional life. And Chris, a couple of weeks ago, started this off talking about doing something, a calling to do something with the gifts that we have and the opportunities that we're given by God. And last week, he talked about being intentionally inclusive, being intentionally inclusive to people, to overcome the di divisions of humanity that we create amongst ourselves, to see others as image bearers of God, and to welcome everyone. So this week, I want to share something that has helped me be more focused on my purposes and the purposes of God and not feel like a salesman for Jesus. And this has been helpful to me. I'll use this as a disclaimer. This has been very helpful to me. It may not work for you, and that's okay, because you're not me and I'm not you. But I hope that maybe this morning you'll find something that will help you in your spiritual journey. I think if you would begin to add this practice to your life, if you don't do this already, it will begin to reshape your heart and your mind into the purposes of God every day. And let me say this. This is not about getting better at Christianity. This is not about getting better at Christianity. Sometimes we present our spiritual walks like staircases that we have to climb to some sort of eventual goal. And I don't want you to think about it that way because what happens is we get frustrated when we take a step back down this, the metaphorical staircase. I want you to think more of it like a circle. That we're on this journey walking around the divine. Walking around God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit. And sometimes in that walk we get closer to him. We draw near to the presence of God. And sometimes we don't. Let's be honest, we struggle. We have sin in our lives. We make bad choices. And sometimes we're farther away from the presence of the Lord. But I want you to think of it that because this is not about just getting better or getting really good at Christianity, but rather drawing ourselves into the presence of God in his kingdom. So here it is. Here's what's helped me. And here's what has helped me constantly refocus my heart on the purposes of God. So if you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. And this is all we're going to be at this morning. This is where we're going to hang out 
and we're going to talk about this. So Matthew chapter five, 6, starting in verse 9 through 13. Um, I am reading from the New Revised Standard Version. You may have a different version. Um, and many of you may know this, but here it is. Matthew chapter 6. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Now for some of your translations, you may have a little doxology at the end, uh, a little short hymn praising God, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. You may have that. My Bible doesn't. But many of us learned this prayer in Sunday school years and years ago. We learned this prayer for a little booklet of stickers or a little uh, treat. Our, our Sunday school teacher It's like, hey, if you learn this prayer, come back next week. We'll get you a little treat. And many of you have learned this. Many of us uh, who grew up playing sports have said this prayer before games countless times. This prayer for many of us in this room is something that we know. But for me, the Lord's Prayer has become a powerful tool to refocus me on the purposes of why I follow Jesus. So I want to spend some moments with you this morning walking through it, and I want us to see that in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus is teaching us, he's teaching us and his disciples to connect with God and how to approach the presence of the Creator. We know that Jesus' prayer life was profoundly important in his life. We know that he drew away from the crowds numerous times in his ministry to be alone, to pray. The gospel gives us numerous examples of that. So here in the Lord's Prayer, Jesus offers us an invitation. An invitation to share in the prayer life of, himself, of Jesus himself. An invitation to know God, to know his heart for us, and to participate in his purposes for creation. The prayer Jesus teaches us has been an invaluable part of the church for thousands of years. Ever since Jesus shared this prayer on the hillside in Galilee 2,000 plus years ago. The Lord's Prayer has been a, an important part of church history. There's this little church manual that um, dates to either early 2nd century or possibly even late 1st century. It's called the Didica, and it gives some insight into the practices of the Jewish Christians at the time. It provides instructions and best practices for Jesus' people of their time. And concerning prayer, it offers this. It offers the Lord's Prayer. The early church was instructed to, as followers of Jesus to pray this prayer three times a day. Unlike the Jewish Shema, there were no instructions for time of day, but as most of these follow, early followers were Jews themselves and good followers of their Jewish practices and they had their roots in Judaism, it was not a stretch to think that they prayed at sunrise, they prayed at sunset, and then they would often pray at midday. So this prayer is important to Christians since Christianity started. So let's jump in. Our Father in heaven, Jesus from the start calls us into a relational nature with the creator God. God is not a God who is distant, but he is a God who is a parent, a father. 
This is paternal. This is a familiar approach to the creator of the universe. God is not a God somewhere way out there, but he is a God who is here, who is near us. His desire, this God, from the very beginning in the garden, in the tabernacle, in the temple, God has desired to be near his people and his creation. So this opening line puts great emphasis on the intimate approach that Jesus shows us to the creator. Next, hallowed be your name. Names are powerful. Names have meaning. Your parents and my parents named you, which they named you for a reason, right? They gave you a name, and it means something. In antiquity, it meant something as well. And, it, it, you know, we read in our scriptures, a lot of times we'll have a little footnotes, and it'll show us what that name meant, because names are meaningful, and our God has a name. Sometimes I think it's real easy for us to say, well, we believe in God. Well, which one? Which God do you believe in? That would have been the question that would have been asked in Jesus' time. Well, which one? Our God has a name, Yahweh. He reveals that name to us. He reveals to us who he is through his name. Go back and read in Exodus all about that. This God has a name. His name is Yahweh. But unlike our names, this name is holy. This name is set apart. This name is different than us. Jesus is reminding us the sanctifying holiness of the creator of the universe. This God who reveals his name to creation is one that is set above and beyond all things that he has created. So Jesus reminds us that although God draws near to us and wants to know us intimately, he is not like us. He is set apart. He is holy. So your kingdom come. The coming of the kingdom is a major theme in Jesus' ministry. In Matthew 4, it is the very first thing that Jesus says as he starts his public ministry, that the kingdom of heaven is near. Jesus' ministry starts with a calling that the kingdom of heaven is is arriving. The coming of the kingdom through Jesus is the long-awaited purpose of Israel as promised through Abraham, Jacob, and David. God has come to restore his kingdom on earth. Uh, N.T. Wright says it this way, the presence of the kingdom meant that that God's anointed Messiah was here and was at work. That he was in fact accomplishing as events soon to take place would show the sovereign and saving rule of God. The future of the kingdom was the time when justice and peace would embrace one another and the whole world, the time from which perspective one could look back and see that the work had indeed begun, the presence and the work of the anointed leader. So for us... 2,000 plus years later, to pray your kingdom come is to partake in the same purposes of Jesus on this earth. To restore the kingdom of God that is in heaven through the healing and the forgiveness of creation. The purpose, this purpose that we have is better, I think, than just a sales pitch to convince people to think like we do. So then Jesus teaches us your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What do we want this life to look like? What do we want it to look like right right here, right now? 
Do you ever think about that? What do we want this world to look like right here in this place in this time? I think it's a question that people have been asking since people have existed. What do we want right now to look like? What do we want our, our lives to look like right now in this place? And I believe through this prayer, Jesus calls us into the performative purposes of heaven. That we cannot sit on our hands and hope that it'll just happen. We can't sit on our hands and hope that things will get better. We must be active participants in the goodness and the will of Jesus on this earth. Now, not later. To overcome the curse of Genesis 3, where God is separated from his creation, we as Jesus people must partake in that mission and that purpose now, right now, to reshape this world to look like it is in heaven. Jesus has come to return the kingdom, and it looks like what he teaches us in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. We participate in the purposes of God by making the earth full of the glorious goodness and holiness and will of God as they are in heaven. We are not awaiting death for heaven. We are participating in heaven on earth by creating it here and now. But what does that look like? What do we do? What, what do we do? What does that look like for us? And I think Jesus shows us this next. He tells us to give this day, us this day, our daily bread. You know, bread and food were a big part of Jesus' ministry. A big part of his life. He talks about it. He eats it. He multiplies it. He calls himself the bread of life. He'll use it as a symbol of his body on earth in the Lord's Supper. Jesus th sees bread as this trusting reminder that God will provide. That God will take care of his creation. That God will provide for his people. All of his people. That God will take care of us. Jesus is echoing the Exodus story. Jesus is reminding us how way back when God has proven himself willing to provide just what his people need when they need it. Over and over and over again. And he just asks that we trust. That we just trust that he will provide his daily bread. But I know that this is hard for us. This is really hard for us because we have bread. Uh, my, my, my phone's messed up, Craig, so you'll have to follow along for me. So show this picture real quick. We've got bread. This is my house last night. I took a picture of all the bread that I have in my house. And I probably have more. I've got some hard bread croutons. I've got donut bread. I've got uh, butter garlic bread that we had for dinner. I've got two packs of cinnamon toast bread. I've got bagels. I've got banana nut, not nuts, but banana muffins. And then I've got some honey wheat sandwich bread. I've got bread. I probably even have some flour tortillas in my uh, pantry. That can be bread too, right? If we need it in a pinch. You can wrap a hot dog up in that. We've got bread. I know if you go home today, I want you to go home today. I want you to look in your pantries or your fridge or your freezer or wherever you keep your bread. Or if you have a bread box. Who has bread boxes still these days? Uh, somebody, if you have a bread box, okay. How much bread do you have at your house? Because I think this is really hard for us. We struggle with this. Because it's hard for us to trust in daily bread when we've got a bunch of bread in our houses. 
because I go and buy the bread. I don't need to trust God to buy my bread. I'm going to go buy it. But I think this is a call for us not to just to, not just to trust that God will give me bread. But I think it's a calling to make sure that everyone has bread. So we look around us and we ask the question, who does not have bread? Who in this new kingdom of God is without? And what will I do about it? What will I do about the people that I see in my world that I'm trying to reshape into the kingdom of God that don't have what they need? What will I do about it? What happens to one of us happens to all of us. What happens across the world affects us right here, right now, today. What happens to one of us happens to all of us. And so as Jesus calls us to, to, to give thanks for our daily bread and know that God will provide it, it's also a calling to us to make sure that we're looking around to make sure that everyone is taken care of in this new kingdom. To make sure that everyone has enough. Salvation that Jesus provides isn't just for eternal glory, but it's for right here, for right now, for the outsider and the poor, both spiritually and physically. So we bring heaven to earth in this way, and it's a reminder of purpose. Next, he teaches us, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Your version may say trespasses. In Luke's version of this prayer, it'll say sins. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. That's often the way that I pray this. But Jesus teaches us to forgive our debts as we also forgive our debtors. Forgiveness is freely offered by Jesus Christ. There are no hoops, hoops to jump through. No proving that you are good enough, no temple, no sacrifices, just forgiveness over and over and over again. This freely given forgiveness is a hallmark of Jesus' ministry. And here he invites us to do the same. Jesus invites us to, to see that heaven on earth looks like a place where we treat each other with grace, with mercy, with forgiveness, over and over and over again. And for some of us, that forgiveness may mean maintaining boundaries and distance from danger and those who would harm us emotionally and physically, and that's understandable. But we offer release for ourselves and for others. We let God remove this burden from us. We ask forgiveness not just for ourselves, but for others, because this is a communal practice. Jesus isn't asking just for us to ask forgiveness for me. But he's asking for forgiveness for us. Because again, what happens to one of us happens to all of us. This is a communal pr practice to reshape our hearts as a community. Reshape our hearts to care better for one another and for our creation. And then he says this, And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. Humanity and Jesus are both marked by trials by trials of evil, the choice to do good or bad. The choice to do what is right, to do what is good, to do what is tove, or the chance to do what is wrong, what is bad, what is raw. We are marked by that. 
And it's a story that is played time and time again from the very first pages of the Bible. It stretches back to the garden and through the whole story of God's people. When faced with the choice to do good or bad, what will we choose? Will we choose that God is good and he'll take care of us? Or we will choose for ourselves and choose what is evil? Jesus would face temptation both in the form of spiritual evils as well as angry souls in the marketplace. But Jesus' prayer is an invitation to experience the same struggles that he faced. And they also experienced the same liberation that he faced. Jesus believes that we can choose what is good. He believes that. He believes that when we are offered the opportunity to do what is right or to do what is wrong, we have the capacity to do what is good. We simply have to choose that over ourselves. So Jesus invites us into the chance to choose God and choose the purposes of kingdom living. Jesus is calling us into something I think that's much bigger than just a sales pitch. Much bigger than a sales pitch to unbelievers or an infomercial to unbelievers. I think he's calling us into purpose. A purpose to restore creation to the fullness of God's kingdom and that is what I want to buy into. That is why I call myself a Jesus person. That's what I want to be part of. This kingdom on earth restoring the goodness and the holiness and the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of God, Yahweh, on this earth. The constant moving, constantly moving, the beautifully messy earth that we live in. I want to be a part of that. And I want to reshape it to look like the kingdom of heaven here now in this place. To seek and to restore creation and to seek and restore those who bear the image of God back into his presence. I think the Lord's Prayer teaches us about the purposes of an intentional kingdom life. If we would just believe it. And if we would just pray it. If we would take this prayer to heart and let it shape us and reform us into Jesus. Like I said, this has been extremely helpful to me to see the purposes of God in my life when I seem to be farther from his presence, to pray this regularly. I have a timer on my phone that goes off um, daily to remind myself to refocus uh, on the purposes of God. So my prayer, my hope this morning, that this will begin to be the lens in which you see your purpose as a Jesus person, that this prayer will reshape your life into the purposes of God. When you don't know what to do next, when you want hope, when you're not sure, should I do this or should I do that? May this prayer reshape your purpose to bring kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, down to this earth. That is my hope and my prayer for you this morning. As you think about your purpose, that you'll be reminded of this prayer and you will pray it. And you will pray it a lot. And you will pray it often. And it will embed itself into your daily life, in your rhythms, and it will be part of just who you are as a follower of Jesus. And as you do that, it will begin to shape your life. I, I really believe that. It will begin to reshape your life into those kingdom purposes that God has for his people and for his creation. So let's pray.
our Father in heaven. Hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive, our, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. It's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. Church, I don't know um, what you need this morning. Um, you came in here probably carrying some baggage of life, struggling maybe with your purpose, where to go next, what to do. Maybe you're just struggling, or you know somebody that is. We're going to sing a song here in a moment, and if you need anything, um, you can come up here, and we have a couple of us up here who can pray with you, pray for you, or if you're more comfortable, we'll have an elder in the back in our uh, elder's prayer room, and you go back there. Or maybe you're ready to put on Jesus in baptism. Maybe you're ready to believe in this purpose that Jesus has for you. Um, and we have the waters of baptism ready, and we can have that conversation if that's where you're at. Um, again, my prayer for you is that you'll not just think of this as just some prayer you learned long ago, but this is something that will be a part of your daily rhythms, and it will help remind you of your purpose, remind you of what God has called us as Jesus' people to do on this earth, to do his will, to offer forgiveness, to make sure that everyone's needs are met. That's my prayer for us this morning. So if there's anything that you need, please, you're welcome to come down here or again go to the prayer room as we stand, as we sing.